This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning Best Selling Taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Welcome back to a Monday edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. And I am now joined by someone I haven't talked to in several months. It hurts me. Dan Favalli. He's getting too big for the podcast. He's on to bigger and better things. But because it's a holiday, I was able to swing Dan Favalli, one of my favorite NBA writers, to come on the pod. Dan, good afternoon, because we're recording this in the afternoon, because it's a holiday. Um, how are you? I'm doing well, and your words are much too kind. I'm not at all too big for the podcast. Too busy, which means I'm too unimportant. <laughs> <laughs> no, busy is good. In our industry, busy is good. Um, it's great to be back, though. Thank you for having me, as always. I'm happy we were able to work out, work it out this time. All right, man. So we have a lot to talk about, um, and I kind of want to start with this situation that is fascinating. I don't want to call it a situation. It's not a situation. It is an intriguing roster construction dilemma in Philadelphia because the new thing basically, and Zach Lowe has talked about this and other ESPN guys have talked about this, but essentially there is this thing of like, oh, because the Sixers are going to have to pay Jimmy Butler this summer. They're going to have to because to trade uh, for Jimmy Butler and then let him walk and then just kind of bet on Joel and Ben Simmons going forward is a very risky play, especially when you look at the top echelon of teams in the East. Uh, you kind of have to keep moving on. If you make a trade for Jimmy Butler, you should expect to pay Jimmy Butler. Um, that's the whole reason you make that kind of deal. But the new thing is, okay, is there a case we made that he's not the right fit, that this is just not the right kind of roster to build a team around in 2019. Uh, ben Simmons, who uh, refused to shoot threes, Joel Embiid, who doesn't like shooting threes, and Jimmy Butler, who um, does them and is good. He, I shouldn't say he's a good shooter. He's a he's a fine shooter. And then hoping that J.J. Redick just keeps doing what J.J. Redick is doing. Like It is an interesting basketball fit, but at the same time, this team's winning a lot of games. They're going to be a top-four seed. Um, they're going to get better as time goes on. And I, I just, I don't know. So give me your thoughts right away. When you saw Jimmy Butler um, kind of pop up as like, oh, is he like the odd man out? Is this a weird basketball fit? What have you seen with these three on the court together? 
I think it's fair to say that it's a weird basketball fit. It's not, at least to me, untenable if Jimmy Butler's willing to buy into the role that he's kind of assumed since he's been there. He's been there. Uh, more of his shots are coming while he takes fewer dribbles. You look at just his field goal distribution in Minnesota, where he could pound the ball a bunch and was in charge of their half-court playmaking. Most of his shots now are coming off of one dribble or less in Philadelphia because you have Ben Simmons, who is one of the best passers in the game, and you have Joel Embiid, who not only commands uh, touches in, in the post, but you want to find him when he's coming off screens. You want to reward him for spacing the floor when he's standing beyond the arc. I think there's a pathway to success that, but if he's not willing to buy into that role and he wants to be more ball dominant, there really isn't one then. And to what degree is he willing to make that adjustment long term? Maybe the report that he confronted uh, Brett Brown was was overblown about his role earlier. I think it was. Yeah, and- I think it was more of like this guy knows what he's doing. He knows how to be a good basketball player. And he went to Brett Brown of like, hey, um, can we do more of the things that uh, got me paid and made me a top 10 NBA player? Could you do more of that? those the, kind of sets for me? The only thing and he the other thing was, is that Brett Brown, I think, asked like for input yeah. and then Jimmy Butler. Gave right. it. So that makes it a non story. That being said, yeah. you this is a move that the Sixers make under the guise that they're going to pay Jimmy Butler. And if he wants to have the role that's supposed to get him paid, then there's there's a miscommunication there of what matters more to him or whether he thinks the franchise isn't going to pay him as much or give him the full boat. Should he be their third best player? That That's something to certainly look at. And uh, it, but again, if he wants that role, he can't do it on the Sixers because of Ben Simmons. Uh, I think the, the issues about his lack of a jumper or complete non jumper are overblown to me in the sense that he was never supposed to be that player. And he's still shooting well from the floor overall, mm-hmm. even though defenses know where he's going to, to try and go. And so Jimmy Butler, you acquire him hoping that he's going to be the one that's willing to make the adjustment because you can't ask Ben Simmons to just – this isn't him changing his game. It's it's conjuring a skill out of thin air mm-hmm. that he doesn't have yet. Maybe he gets there, but it's probably not going to happen for a while. And so I think where things get interesting is can you keep Jimmy Butler happy enough within this dynamic to where his free agency remains a non-issue? Because if he leaves for whatever reason uh, – They're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I mean you gave up. Because they might lose JJ too. He's on another one-year deal. Right. I mean, they'll have his early bird rights, which helps. He's playing out of his mind in Philly, so I don't even know why he'd want to leave if they're willing to he's give him even. Unbelievable. Yeah. I'm glad. Can we talk about JJ for a second? Yeah, absolutely. He's the linchpin because they need his shooting. With When you run out, when your top three players are Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid, you have to have a just a ridiculous knockdown shooter. You have to have someone that is totally fine being a... 3 and D guy who is totally fine, never dribbling, coming off screens and shooting 40% from three. And JJ is, if you go through all the Sixers lineups, you'll see, oh, plus 4.5, plus this, plus that. And then you look at Butler, Simmons, and Embiid, and they're only plus, their plus minus is one. Like, it's a positive one. It's barely above just, like, neutral. It's It's not great, but when you look at those lineups when they include JJ, it's like, oh, okay, this works. So you can't look at just with those three. But also, I just when I think about Jimmy Butler, I think we all need to pop the brakes because we're not going to figure out or people are not going to see his value until the playoffs start, until we see what it, why it matters to have someone who is so OK um, taking over in the clutch and when games are close. And we saw what happened to them last year where they threw the ball to Joel Embiid over and over again. He turned the ball over a lot and the Celtics just swarmed him and everything else when they didn't have that half court threat that just could ISO and do what he needed to do. Um, 
they were in trouble, but now they have that person. So I just feel like, well, let's just see how Jimmy Butler works for them in the playoffs because I think that's ultimately what's going to tell us whether or not it's worth um, giving him the contract that he's probably going to inevitably get anyway. But uh, let's pump the brakes there and also appreciate JJ Redick because he is insanely good for this team. He's going to get all-star votes in the East. Like he shouldn't be in the game objectively when you look at the league's hierarchy, but when you just assess the league's, uh, the East best players, <laughs> he's going to get some all-star votes, and it's it's hard to argue against him deserving them relative to the lack of competition there. But yeah, I think everything you said on Jimmy Butler is fair, and what might ultimately help the Sixers is that they, they need that skill set, as you said, because even Joel Embiid, who just he has a bunch of face-up skills, but he's not someone you want taking a pull-up jumper in the half court. He's not even someone you want taking a three-pointer necessarily right now. He shoots them out of necessity because it stretches the defenses by default, and if Ben Simmons doesn't have the ball, then all of a sudden those two occupy the same space. But Simmons is a guy who's probably not going to mind deferring on the final possession because he's just this born passer. And so if you can get Butler to just buy into – more of a balance where, yes, maybe you turn to him and you want him to ISO in the half court against certain defenses or depending on what the matchup is, but where you can also sell him on the fact that, hey, if we try to get Ben Simmons going downhill, which they do try and do a lot in those situations, he's going to find you if you move off the ball or if, or if there's a collapse and you're open. And maybe that's where, maybe on that stage is where they strike that balance. And if it yields a you know, if they get to the Eastern Conference Finals, then I think that uh, they'll look at this roster, Butler specifically, and say, hey, maybe we get a little bit deeper over the summer. We'll have cap space. A man can get better, and, and then they go from there. Yeah. Um, you know what would also help? If uh, their number one overall pick from a year ago was good basketball. He kind of makes the, the fit even worse, though, when you think right. about it, because everything he's supposed to do, yes, they were – when it was Embiid, Simmons, and – and Fultz, you could kind of talk yourself into saying, well, Fultz is good enough off the ball to really make this work. But what happens if – forget about whether Fultz is good or not. If he's the player that you want him to be, where does he fit into all this? And it's he probably doesn't. You use him as a trade chip. And I don't know that even if he's um, – even if he comes back and he's fine, and I think everyone just hopes he does, and no one's rooting against players, how – how many touches, how good is he going to be able to be within this dynamic for them to really boost his his trade value and get a piece that's or two that's more complementary to the core that they've put in place? Yeah, um, I'm not optimistic about that. I'm also not optimistic about Wilson Chandler being in my closing five. I don't think he should be either. It's He has not been great since he's come back from injury. They're just, they're so shallow. And every time I look at their bench numbers, I expect it to just be so much worse. And maybe we yeah. really need to just give credit to some of the performances they've been getting from a guy like uh, Landry Shamit. You have, I was G- going to say, he's like shooting lights out. He's perfect for them. Yeah. He, the, the, the bigger issue for them. And I mean, TJ McConnell's a part of that too. They just don't have, they don't really have anyone off the the bench who can defend actual wings that Shamit can't he's more of a guard and and that's you look up and down the roster I mean even if you want to say that you like um Furkan he's not really a a great defender anyway but he's the closest they come to a wing off the bench I'm surprised that their bench stats aren't worse though and I'm wondering if Mm -hmm. they can get by because they've had again they have solid guys like we talked about and then your rotation is going to shrink even further in the postseason but they're a team that very much needs to hope to strike gold on the buyout market, or as, as you kind of pointed out, hope that something comes of Markel Fultz's return if and when that even comes this season. No, I'm going to go ahead and cancel that one out. That's over. Um, Do you think he plays again this season, though? No. Really? Okay. I wouldn't want him to play. 
Like they're still fitting. Like he's not going to be relevant come playoff time. So I just, I would keep him out. Like if you're, I'm so out on all of this and I feel like I'm beating this drum for like a, a year now, but um, it's just, I don't see him coming back from this. I don't think he's in the league in a year or two. Oh, like, wow. he's going to, he has to be in the league. He's always going to have that so. number one pick cachet. I mean, is Anthony Bennett still in the league? Yeah, but Anthony Bennett was never this long guard who was supposed to be able to run an offense in the half court. Yeah, I don't know. I just you heard it here first, folks. Mark Elfold's not gonna be in the league in like. I'm not saying he's gonna be good, but if he's out of the league in two years, I'll be floored. Okay, I mean, I think we'll see him in the G League. He'll pop up on the Long Island Nets at some point. If he ends um, up on the Nets, he's going to be an All Star probably because of their development system at the moment. But that's if you're the Nets, would you trade? Hollis Jefferson and Damari Carroll for Marco Fultz. If I'm the Nets right now, I wouldn't because I'd rather have the the cap space this summer. Since, okay. But I don't know if I'm overvaluing. If I'm the like, I want Markel Fultz on a team like the Nets because I think he would end up being really good. There. Right. And I just, but then I think about the basketball fit of like, I really like Dinwiddie and Russell together. And let's not forget about Karis Levert, who I still think if he's oh, I love Levert, be he's best more, player. Fultz doesn't interfere with Karis Levert at all i don't think he does a little bit because they're all these guys who should probably have the ball in their hands but again you look at just what brooklyn's been able to do with basically everybody that comes through the door that's a slight exaggeration but they're now all of a sudden travion graham's healthy and they're getting quality minutes from there they're like three games over 500 right am i like what are they uh, they're game over 500 in sixth place game east, which is just yeah six in the east i mean that's nothing to write home about no it's huge for brooklyn for them to be there like that is especially without Karis Levert, who was arguably their best player before he went down to injury. Like I think if you said that D'Angelo Russell wasn't going to get an over-the-top offer sheet in free agency, and that the Nets knew that they weren't going to be in play for one of the tier one or tier two free agents, I would absolutely take on Mark Fultz. And if it didn't cost you an actual asset, I would absolutely mm-hmm. do it in that situation. Are you a D'Lo person at this point, or no? I'm a D'Lo person insofar as we can recognize that he is probably not the Nets' best prospect. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm not there yet. He's been playing fantastic basketball, but he really has. When they close that forty point nine against the Magic yeah, and that cold blooded three, like his pull up jumpers come a long way. Yeah, better. I just, I like Spencer Dinwiddie overall better. I think his defensive mm. ceiling is higher. If you want to tell me that D'Angelo Russell's younger has the higher ceiling overall, then that's fine. But I really think that Jared Allen. Is going to end up being really good, um, and I'm a Karis yeah. Levert guy. So you could, I could still argue. I mean, and let's not forget about uh, Rodion's cool roots, who's mm. just how could we not? Yeah. So I wouldn't call him at the beginning of the season. I called him the Nets' fifth best prospect. I, that mm. made me look like an idiot. I still don't think he's their best prospect. There'd still be, for me, unequivocally, there would still be a player or two that I'd rather have long term. If I'm Brooklyn, that being said, he's really just busting down barriers with the way he's. He's been playing of late. Can he close games consistently, though? That's what I'm looking for. You know, like the Orlando thing was fun, but over the course of the season, Kenny Atkinson has really uh, been more wanting to close with one of Dinwiddie or Russell, and it's normally been Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie, yeah. I mean, he's proved to be worthwhile there, too. I mean, I think ultimately the goal should be for those two to be on the floor together in crunch time, but... Um, that is not worth It's been better than last year in the small sense but yeah it's just it's tough defensively because i overrate dinwiddie defensively together mm. they can be a disaster but that's just i mean we're here like splitting hairs over a nets team like in this well, vein. No, this it's is so the pacers problem too man because ultimately turner and sabonis cannot play together and they were closing with sabonis a lot and when people talk about turner i'm like i watched him in person he's 
kind of like Dwayne Dedman. Like he's that's how he's used, and that's who he reminds me of. Um, and that's a problem because they need him to be an all star for is that to get to the next level. Is that more? Is that more an indictment against the Pacers though, or, or Turner? Just because a lot the way that's he's tough. used on offense. That seems to be a choice on the part of the Pacers. Like, if you're going to run so many actions through Sabonis and Oladipo, and yeah. you have Bogdanovich and Thaddeus Young and Collison and Joseph, I don't know that the opportunity is ever going to be there for him. I agree with you. Dude, they just throw him in the in the corner. He's yeah. always ready for a corner three, and then they'll maybe give him some pick and pop options, but it's pretty rare. They do that more with Sabonis, and um, I don't know. Turner is just. I love Turner. I like him better than. He's fine. Sabonis so is having a better a season. I think Turner is ultimately going to have the better career. Interesting. I um I probably agree, but I just It's fine not to. Know. I don't think anyone else does at this point, but He kind of he floats like Wiggins a little bit. There's some like big guy Wiggins stuff to him that Bonus or Turner? Shake. No, Turner. <laughs> Where like you forget he's on the floor a lot. And you're like, this dude should be good. Yeah. I don't understand why he's not a lot. He's he he's also a defensive figure. player of the year candidate, which Wiggins yeah. is not. And he's making. True. And Wiggins should be with his figure. and Or he should at least not suck on that end of the floor. But yeah, that's a hope. And it's not like Turner's being asked to do a lot offensively. And I think maybe that's maybe the difference with Wiggins is he's still asked to do um, some stuff. But Turner is just like, hey, can you shoot a corner three every now and then? And then maybe we'll throw some rim running opportunities your way. But yeah. I, I don't know. I wouldn't. He might need a situation, a different. You've convinced me that he might need a different situation to actually be better. They than have to bonus. pick one of the two. They cannot yeah, build more, on both of them. It's definitely more hopeless than the Dinwoody Russell pairing. They're not going to be able to play together long term. Right. And who would you keep if you're Andy? Uh, who would I keep? It would be Turner, yeah. but Sabonis has been so good and he might come cheaper. He's going to be extension eligible this summer. My guess would be they don't get anything done. But if he's going to come cheaper and he's already playing better. And you you've managed to carve out like all these. It also depends on what their team looks like. Everyone's on an inspiring. They're all on one year deals. Yeah. Like Boyan, Thad, all of them. You go up and down that cap sheet. You're like, oh my god, they're gonna have all the space. And then you realize, oh yeah, no free agents go to Indiana. Like I don't know what they do. They're not in danger. I think because they're more talented than you know. When you look at that, was it the 2016 2017 Heat team that irrationally reinvested in its core? Or you look at that mm. Suns team that had all those guards and thought they could replicate it. The Pacers are objectively in a much better situation because they've proven they can sustain their level of play with this group. But it's kind of similar where we're not going to get free agents probably. And mm-hmm. now we have to pay these guys. And there's no, they're like perfectly set up to make a blockbuster trade. There's just no blockbuster trade market right now because everyone's a buyer. Like all that cap relief because of those expiring contracts, if you attach a pick to any of those, that that all of a sudden becomes like one of the top tier blockbuster trade offers. They're going to be interesting because I think playing with Oladipo would be fun. Like this seems like a fun culture. This is a team that is just everything about them is just interesting. Like Darren Collison's just really good for them. And I having seen them in person this season, like it's it just shouldn't work, but they're fun. And, Their shot uh, profile is. I talked to, I wanted to make sure this wasn't like a, I think because we cover the league at a national level, you and I. So like we're, we might nitpick over stupid things that don't bother the people who are there more often. So I asked Caitlin Cooper is just one of the best Pacers writers out there over at Indy Cornrows, mm-hmm. whether their shot profile is like an actual issue. And she confirmed that like, it's not okay. Like even though they get by with it, stop taking so many long twos. And that made me, be, made me happy because you're talking about 
Miles Turner is a perfect example. What if you just moved him beyond the three-point line even more often on picking pots or had him taking more threes? I feel like he becomes that much more valuable of a player. But they're just not going to do that. I don't think that's going to happen. No, they're offense by committee, and they're going to try and really just kill you defensively, which this far has has worked. And kill you on rebounds, because when Thad and Sabonis are in the game together, just what they do inside and gobbling up second chance opportunities and everything else, you're like, oh my god! Contract year, Thad is- Young too. Every time you say a name on this team, I think of something. They're like, uh, this definitely is an original thought. But how many replacement level or better players deep do they stretch? Probably ten. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like every team it seems like have like eight or nine guys they can count on. Like the Pacers have like eleven. <laughs> Even Aaron Holiday. It's like, how can we find yeah. this rookie more minutes because he's so good? It's it's wild. It's a very rare thing for a team to have the kind of roster construction and success that the Pacers do. But hey, you know, it's good. Good for them. Um, I want to talk about the Jazz because this was a team that was not in the playoffs just a month ago. Now they are in the playoffs. They're going to be a playoff team. They could keep rising up the ranks while the Memphis Grizzlies have torpedoed. The Jazz have risen. And I go through all their lineups. I watch them. I don't quite understand why they're so much better now Gobert um, being elite at his position again is nice but Mitchell's shooting below average from three you look at his shot chart it's not the best thing you want to see Joe Ingles um, is still hitting his shot so that helps but Derek Favors hasn't been very good for them at all but then Royce O'Neal has and I, I just I can't figure out why the Jazz are definitely fine now for me, a, a few things sort of stand out for them is that Dennis uh, Dennis Smith Jr., wow. Donovan Mitchell has been really bad for most of the season, but since Christmas, he's been money for them. And uh, uh, that just seems to be better decision-making. He was forcing a lot of his shots. He still does force the action a ton, um, but he's just making better decisions overall with the ball in his hands. Um, Derek Favors is weird for them because I think he's a very good individual player, but they make so much more sense when they surround Mitchell and Gobert with just three wings shooters, like that small ball four look. And they, they've they always gone to that, but they lean on it just in a different capacity now, I think, over the past few weeks, and that's really helped them. Um, and they're, they're getting some more playmaking help. Joe Ingles has been going through a shooting slump, but he's been fantastic at uh, really facilitating the half-court offense in the past few weeks. The Kyle Korver trade, while that was a while ago, he's really kind of helped their floor balance because when you don't have that second primary shot creator, which they don't, you know, you want to look at guys who are going to be just below that number two, number three tier, and you have Joe Ingles. Um, Dante Exum's been okay for them. That's fine. They can't be your second best half-court initiator. Um, same thing for Ricky Rubio. We're seeing the limitations of of that. And so when you have better spacing, that really alleviates a lot of the pressure. The other thing that's just going to stand out is they've played – I think it's the hardest schedule to date in the NBA or it's right there. And they have uh, the easiest schedule remaining the rest of the way in the West. And so that's going to make them look better by default. Their ceiling does seem like it's capped a little bit though, until they get that number two shot creation guy to help Donovan Mitchell, because I don't think with their current setup, it's, it's probably a little bit, I won't even say a little bit, it's flat out unrealistic to expect him to play at this level for the rest of the year. And as you were right to shout out Royce O'Neal, who's been good over the past couple of weeks as well. He's fun to watch. He's like the perfect eighth guy on a good team. Um, I think the answer here is a secondary playmaker next to Mitchell. And I think with Quinn Snyder's background and what he's able to do with guards, that's what I would focus on if I'm Utah. Like the way for them to get over that hump is 
I mean, this is a very organic and very planned uh, natural lead-in. Um, Dennis Smith Jr. Like giving, he's shooting above thirty-five percent from three this year. Um, it's it's interesting for them because a lot of the landing spots for him, I'm like, oh no, his career's over if he goes to Orlando or Phoenix or whatever. Like that's just it's it's bad. And I uh, I was thinking about who they could realistically add next to him where like i have a big thing where i got a lot of heat because i am not a zion guy where and i just and i would never build a team or have a team where my best player is a big in today's nba there's a reason that if you look at top to bottom um wings and guards um point guards and wings basically as arnovitz um is pushing us to do it's basically bigs wings and point guards and i mean he's right by the way that's just yeah he is but none of the teams that we believe in as contenders are built around bigs. Like the Pistons are like six games under 500 and their two best players are two bigs. There is a reason for that. It's uh, Reggie Jackson's not good at basketball and their backcourt is uh, just a dumpster fire. So they might miss the playoffs because of that, even though they're getting an MVP like season from Blake Griffin, because ultimately Blake is not enough of a point forward where he controls the ball as much as he needs to. Guards have more sway in a game night in night out because they just have the ball in their hands more often like Steph Curry's gravitas is a real thing um Kevin Durant can uh bring the ball up there's just if you go up and down Beal and Wall McCollum and Lillard uh Giannis bringing the ball up Kawhi like if you don't have that guy or if you can't add another playmaker next to your one um superstar guard you're in trouble because I just I think you need to, if you have an opportunity to get one elite wing and one elite guard, that's the, that's what you should build around. That's what you look for. That is the formula to success in this league. And, um, I think the jazz are kind of good with Corver and Ingles and Crowder, who still has a good plus minus stuff for, um, then when he's on the floor, O'Neal. So they're good there. They're good at, um, go bear. So I think their option is Rubio is expiring, which is huge. And, Dante Exum, um, if another team wants to talk themselves into what he could still be at this point, that's, I think, their avenue to get out of um, the fourth, fifth spot Western Conference standing purgatory that they probably are going to find themselves in over the next couple of years because you can't win by yourself. Mm-hmm. And as great as Gobert is, they just, Mitchell needs help. He needs someone else to kind of lessen the load, um, to give him better looks, get him more pick and pop options, um, to catch and shoot, stuff like that. So Dennis Smith was someone I thought about. But do you think that's fair that ultimately what the Jazz do next to Mitchell in the backcourt when Rubio is no longer on this team is basically going to define this era of Jazz basketball? I think it's fair to say the, the issue there, though, is I know that when you look at his playmaking, Donovan Mitchell really isn't a point guard, but with the amount of, to- amount of time he needs to spend on the ball, he almost is a point guard. So whoever you pick to go in the backcourt with him has to be more adept at kind of shimmying between those on and off ball roles. Dennis Smith Jr. has shot fairly well off the ball this year. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that that's a long-term answer when he's not. He's gotten better on defense, but I don't know that he's ever going to be a great defender. And then Mitchell himself isn't this great catch-and-shooter right now, 32.2% on spot up threes this year it'd be it'd be interesting if you could pick him up on the cheap though it seems like the mavericks are finding out that the trade market for him is so tepid that they're just going to try to keep him for now by the way they can we say they completely botched that by just pushing him away for like a week and a half and then being like all right welcome back the, we did not uh, the, facilitate a trade the whole trade. situation is weird because they were and i don't know if this was just to save face but the when Rick Carlisle did an interview that was relayed by ESPN's Tim McMahon, he said something just like, I want everyone to 
know that this isn't a Dennis Smith Jr. thing. He's been nothing but great when he's around his teammates and this and that. And I, I don't know if that's just them trying to be like kill it with kindness type deal in the situation. But when you really think to um, when you think when you just think about that response, it's just it's so bizarre. So I don't I don't know what to, to make of that entire situation. But there is a path to him and Luca working. I don't know if Dallas has completely torched that bridge, though. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the numbers aren't terrible. It's just, I don't know. I don't know what the right team is for him, but I just think ultimately the Jazz, what they do next to Mitchell, and like you said, it needs to be someone who can shoot, who can play off ball, who can um, be okay not being the lead guard um, next to Mitchell. Maybe it's Josh Richardson. Maybe you do whatever you can to be like, hey, can what like we need this guy. He'd be perfect in that incubator in Utah. And then you you have something really interesting. If you're closing with Richardson, Mitchell, Ingles, um, Gobert, and like Crowder, I think that's that's fascinating. I don't know if it gets you that next level, but it probably puts you in the second, third spot for the next couple of years. And um, I don't know. I mean, I think that's that's intriguing. But like you said, I I, I just don't know what they do, and I don't know if Dennis Smith is the right guy. But it's got to be someone next to Mitchell. It it just can't be a wing, and I don't think it can be a big. You don't think it could be a wing? Is that what you said? Yeah, just because of what they've invested in Ingles, Crowder, um, just I, I don't know. It, it might have to I, be O'Neal, maybe just a more true two guard where you almost don't have a have a point guard if you're looking at. That's it. why I was thinking Josh Richardson. Where it's like I don't I don't know if they have the assets to get him. It, they probably yeah. like I don't want to say they're ceiling, but just looking at the market, it'd be something like Tim Hardaway Jr. And there have been a sector that doesn't help them though. I just don't like that idea. Like they, I think, but it doesn't help them get to that next. Like he, there's no upside there. We know who Tim Hardaway Jr. is in this point. Like you can find a Tim Hardaway Jr. anywhere. Like that guy. Yeah, that, Joe Ingles is a better NBA player than Tim Hardaway Jr. Like you can find guys who are better than him. It's they're far cheaper than what he's making. Their ideal situation, their ideal acquisition would be a Chris Middleton, which we know they can't sign him free yes. agency. Um. I wouldn't. I know you're not. You don't like the wing look. I wouldn't be opposed to see them getting Tobias Harris, who might be more gettable uh, if the Clippers decide uh, not to pay him. Oh, you are no, no Tobias Harris slander here. That dude is so it's fine. Um, the other thing to look at would be if you went the point guard route, and I don't, I don't know how realistic this would be, but let's just say Kemba Walker goes into free agency. And oh, he would be basketball. so good next. To, like those two, Kemba is so good in two point guard lineups. I still think about the Kemba linear from a couple years ago. Like that Kemba is just so we much better that, when he and had, we got that backcourt like probably a year or two too soon because Kemba Walker is even better off the ball now. Like that lineup yes. was fine and it was just never great. And now you, I, I you have to play with Jeremy Lamb, and Malik Monk, and it just yeah. doesn't work. The Jeremy Lamb with him and Jeremy Lamb works. Him and Tony Parker works really well. It's defense that's a concern. Uh, right. But again, if we would have had that Lynn Walker lineup now, that would have been absurd. I don't know. Uh, Woj said this, and Kemba Walker doesn't fall into that tier, that uh, that free agency is kind of set up to be weird this year since a lot of the players have won rings. But I do wonder if players are just more aware that they can build their brand anywhere and that maybe we'll see some of them really – maybe the ones who have spent their career in – close to purgatory like Walker, maybe they'll prioritize a good basketball fit because when you look at Denver's not really going to have cap space this year unless they do some maneuvering, but Denver, Utah, I'm trying to think of another team that might spring to mind. Those are like the the basketball fit of like dreams. You could plug them like all these good players there and it seems like those teams could take off, but will that 
market ever appeal to even a a tier three free agent. And I think we've yet to really see whether it will or not. I'm gonna guess no. Um, that would be Utah's a nice place. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, it's fine. Um, I they need Boris Diaw to it. explain why Utah's a great place to live. Do you know who I call from Utah? Like my dream scenario: trade or free agency. Trade, because they're not signing anyone free agency. That's, Let's go ahead and not, look. That's that's not happening. They're gonna have um, cap space though. Doesn't matter. It's Utah. It's not happening. Right. No free agents don't sign in Utah. That's that's fine. Um, it, it's not Kemba, although I like Kemba, and I hadn't really considered it before that. Um, it's John Wall. Wow. I've not. I don't want you don't want give to the Wizards cap Hardaway. relief. We trade for him now. John Wall give is. them Rubio. I would love it. I think that is the scenario. Put him in the Utah incubator. You give Quinn Snyder, the guard whisperer, Donovan Mitchell, ultimate competitor. John Wall can playoff time is an ultimate competitor. You might get the best defensive effort from John Wall and Utah system. Just how much of a pain in the ass would John Wall and Donovan Mitchell being your league guards be for teams in the West? Would you not think that they could be Houston 2.0 with Capella Paul Harden, and then you do Wall Mitchell Gobert for the next couple of years. Is that not the second best team in the West? It's not. I'm, I'm not. Ooh. I'm not sold on the. I mean, the Paul Harden fit. Both those guys can shoot. Donovan Mitchell's right. an okay shooter. John Wall borders on a really crappy shooter. Um, I'm more specifically though. If you made that trade, you're you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot for this year because Wall's not going to play again, and you're going to give up at least two, maybe two guys. They're not doing playing. anything anyway this year. They're losing in the first round. Oh, I would disagree with that. This is a team that might make its full form during the playoffs. That's where they might really mm. cut their teeth. I would, I, I would bet a lot of money on this team losing in the first round. But um, no, I think that's that's the answer. I think John Wall is what you do. You're not getting Beal. I think you could talk Washington and to John Wall. I would rather go after a stopgap option like Jeremy Lin. Why? You're never going to solve it. You're still punning on finding the right guy next to Mitchell. Who is that? You have to trade for him. I, maybe it's someone you find. They've done well at drafting, in the, although Grayson Allen looks like a miss now, but they've done yeah. fairly good job. I mean, look where They're they picked up Donovan Mitchell. in the Mitchell. late 20s. Like, that's just almost impossible. John Wall's not going to elevate the ceiling. That's he Disagree. These... I think a healthy, motivated John Wall, who's in shape, elevates their ceiling to two seed, like win 60 games, all that kind of stuff next year. That would... I would love to see Wall and Mitchell in Quinn Center's system with Gobert behind them. I think they would. You just put it. I don't. A lot of people. The floor balance. It'd be like the Thunder too. It may be more less Houston, more OKC when they have Westbrook and George and Stephen Adams running things. I think the problem there is that of that OKC is definitely a more apt comparison, but Donovan Mitchell is probably the best shooter of that trio, and he's yet to really prove he's an above. You would need him to shoot. Like Paul George for that John. But you don't think he'd be a better shooter with someone like John Wall facilitating more? I I I question it. Okay. It's also the contract. I like Mitchell's form. I think he's going to be a better shooter. I think he's going to continue to get better. I think he'll be league average or better. But you need he can get to Kemba's level. I think he would need to for the John Wall stuff to work. Yeah, I don't know. And if that's the case, would you not buy them as a top two team for the next couple years in the West? If he can get to that, I would buy them as a their ceiling as a two or three seed for the next one to two years that has no chance at winning the title. That's as far as I would go. Mm, and you want, I mean, Wall's extension kicks in next year. What is the back end of that deal going to look like? It doesn't look I great. don't care. You're Utah. Uh, I can't. I, You're Utah. You have I don't to think do you something. Can look, if you, 
I get that in the sense if you were to pick up a even if it's a mega overpaid player, if there was more of a light at the end of the tunnel of that contract or it wasn't one of the five worst deals in the NBA right now, then I would get that. But it's that's such a big commitment. Mm. What about favors and uh, Rubio for Con Sexton? Oh, God. I don't know why. Why would the Cavs do that? I know. You know what they need I, I to just... do this summer is they just they just need to like call Houston and see what they want for Chris Paul. That's what they need to do. Why would you go Chris Paul if you can just trade for John Wall? Because he's under contract for I... a year longer, but Chris Paul is just objectively better. He's he's injured. If he's healthy. Well, the hamstring thing is a problem. And he wasn't playing well this year. But if you ask me, would I rather have the next four years of Chris, of John Wall at his price point or the next three of Chris Paul at his price point? It's not. I'm probably not even questioning it. I would agree. That's just not realistic, though, is what I'm saying. I don't know. Houston's very concerned. Houston's about not trading that. Chris Paul. That is. I'm going to go out on a limb and say unless they, unless they beat the Warriors in the playoffs this year, they need to just move Chris Paul. They're not going to do it. They're writing that out to the sunset. That's it. Like Chris Paul is going to be a rocket for the next couple of years. I'm, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you, but it would be interesting to see if they like what that trademark would yield because you have to start. He, the idea behind him was he was supposed to alleviate James Harden's workload and even dating back to last year, when he was healthier than he was this year, that hasn't really happened as much. I mean, you, why, why do you need to do that when you have Austin Rivers stepping into the fold? He is their second most important player right now, which is very concerning. <laughs> oh, that's no, probably not fair to PJ Tucker, but you get my point. Yeah, it's probably PJ. Um, and Clint Capella when he's healthy. but well, Yeah, that's what I, I mean. Eric Gordon was out for a while. He comes back. Dude, Eric Gordon's not good anymore. So I, he, he's, but he's taken on that like Ryan Anderson role where it's like, right, I'm going to shoot like 80 footers and just stretch the defense that way. Even if they don't go in, the difference was Anderson yeah. was probably making more of them, but still. That's their play to save their season is what they could talk teams into for Eric Gordon. But I don't, I just don't know what that. I wonder if like. let's say the Timberwolves had fired Tibbs as they probably mm-hmm. should have already. And then the Rockets built the deal around Gordon filler and three to four first round draft picks do you think who's ever in charge of many at that point accepts that jimmy butler deal mm, probably not i think they do i'm not gonna lie those first rounds wouldn't be good like if the uh, had this year James probably Harden. not but yeah i don't know how that like if you if you had some real real foresight the 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 other two picks let's say you got four or three, even just the latter two. I just wouldn't give up four first round picks for Jimmy Butler. The Rockets were. I think Daryl Morey had to know that he probably wasn't going to be in his job by the time all those picks conveyed. But mm, that's fair. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's tough. They're stuck. I mean, I, well, I don't want to use the word stuck because James Harden's really good, and if Paul's healthy, they're they're probably one of the Western Conference's powers. But their their books are tough over the next few years when you have Capella at near max, and then Harden and Paul on on super maxes. Well, maybe they'll uh, Bruno Caboclo will come to full form during that next couple year run. Someone else He's needs to go to the Nets, but <laughs> just anyone who's a <laughs> developmental guy who had who just flamed out, go to Long Island and uh, join Anthony Bennett, who is just launching like twelve threes a game and hitting them at a high clip. That's that's what we just recommend for everybody at this point. Yeah, um, that's my unofficial recommendation for every single fringe player in the NBA. <laughs> go play for Brooklyn. Um, uh, yeah, that's great. Um, last thing I wanted to touch on, uh, the Spurs a team you're very familiar with, uh, are good at basketball again. 
why are they good at basketball when they have pivoted as a good friend of the pod, Matthew Tyen, uh, wrote for Real GM. This is a team that's pivoting again. They're kind of, we, we trashed the Pacers a little bit for their shot selection. Then you look at uh, how the Spurs are winning games and you're like, I don't really understand this. But then again, they're more three-point minded than I think even the Pacers because Brent Forbes and... Um, Patty Mills, who only shoots threes, Marco Bellinelli, who basically only shoots threes. Like they have a lot of guys. Bertons, I think, has only taken a three in the NBA. I don't think I've ever seen him take anything other than. If you look at his box score, game after game, I guarantee if you go back at, he has maybe one shot that's not a three. Maybe he's always like a three for six um, guy, and they were all threes. He's he's great for them, but I yeah I I don't know. So tell me, why are the Spurs um, Spursing again? I think a couple things helped them uh, was not they no longer have to lean on or decided not to lean on Dante Cunningham for real minutes, which I wouldn't say that their defensive issues were all his fault. But the lineups they're fielding now, um, they're since December 3rd, they're a top eight defense, which has really helped them. And then the return of Derek White has really done wonders for them. I'm. I've liked Bryn Forbes more than a lot of people. I don't think he's this huge defensive liability. I know he's not very long, but now you have Derek White come in, and that allows you to sort of mishmash the assignments a little bit more, and he's been fantastic over the past few weeks. They're just deeper, and I'm still not a fan of their shot profile. I think on a lot of nights you're giving up such a large talent deficit, and more three-pointers is kind of the way to bridge that. But as you kind of talked about, you know, they're 29th in three-point attempt rate. Only the Clippers attempt fewer uh, threes per 100 possessions. But they're just – they're making the ones that they're hitting because you have guys like Davis Bertans. Marco Bellinelli is hitting uh, way more of his threes now. They have the – they're the only team in the NBA shooting over 40% from three on the season. So you just combine all that. And then I think that this is just a matter of the pieces getting used to one another. The Spurs – we're never I don't think anyone ever thought they were going to be that bad defensively to begin with but they certainly were never going to be that bad for the entire season and as you've gotten through more practices gotten healthier uh, Rudy Gay has been big for them and again I I can't undersell the return of Derek White who's been fantastic for them defensively as well all those factors well I think small in their own rights sort of combine to make this um, a bigger deal for the Spurs and um, I don't know how much of a threat they are in the West, but I picked them to make the playoffs ahead of the season. And a lot of people didn't think they would. And I, I think I would still stand by that though, that they're, a, I don't want to, they're, they're closer to a playoff lock than a fringe playoff team, in my opinion. Which is weird because we were all talking ourselves out and, but it was mainly because of DeJounte Murray. Like if he was healthy, I think we all would have assumed they wouldn't a lot of games and probably finish somewhere in the four or five range in the West, but they didn't have him. Like, do you think they still miss him a lot or do you think Derek White's defense and um, the rest of their guys uh, kind of make up for his absence? Oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't even like, I can't even, fa- I can't even fathom an answer to that right now for some reason. Mm, okay. <laughs> what would your, what would your take be on that? I think they would not be able to keep all of their guys that they have right now. I think they would have had to make a more difficult roster construction choice um, that they have to. Because now they're able to see what Derek White can be by not having DeJounte Murray. And with Forbes being just the kind of shooter and player that he is, Patty Mills being on the books, like I don't know if there was enough rotation minutes to kind of facilitate all those guys' needs. And not having them is... So you're, you're kind of gonna, thinking that with Murray... All of a sudden, Derek White gets bumped to the, or maybe it's Brent right. Forbes, um, because it, White one of those two, I think, is now like the Lonnie Walker level him. because he's just not yes. in the rotation. That's fair. Yeah, 
And now that they know what they have in those guys, though, maybe that helps them long term when Murray's healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, Forbes specifically, maybe you use him to try and get off Pau Gasol's last year of his contract over the summer. Um, if you're yeah, not I think Forbes is the odd man out because I think Derek White's once Dejounte Murray's back, he's the third guard. Yeah, just because he's co- he's more cost controlled too. Yeah, and I think he just has better upside defensively for sure, without question. Yeah, so I think you keep him around and see what happens. But um, DeRozan and Elmay, their minutes together, not great. They're fine. They're barely uh, above. Um, I think what is it? Let me pull it back up. I think it is. Let's see, point two. Hmm. Plus minus per game, so they're they're fine, slightly above the negative. But when you watch them, you're like, I just I don't know how a team that's playing Lamarcus Aldridge, Demar Derozan, and Rudy at the same time is <laughs> scoring enough points to win basketball games. And Rudy has been I good just, in San Antonio, which is why the Spurs yeah, should just suck it up fine. and just sign Mello. I mean, Gay is fine. Do you think he's been good? Would you? Would I would you say, say he's good. good. It's I mean, so, we're not. If you like, I'm not trying to rank him in relationship to the rest of the league, but he's been better than replacement level for them for basically the past two years when he's healthy. Yeah. And also LaMarcus Aldridge getting more run at the five this year, which I think really saves them a lot um, because he's just, he's, I think he's better at the five. He is in today's NBA. If you have, and the spurt when, when Pau Gasol has been healthy, he's been starting alongside Aldridge. Greg Popovich clearly doesn't like care. But, well, Gasol only he gets the the Mark uh, the <laughs> Marcin Gortat thing. Andrew Bogut used to th- get like the Keith Bogut. Yeah, he has the quick hooks. The actual, like, yes, the it's what's tough about the Spurs is they don't have like a ton of great combo forward options to run at the four. David Davis Bertans is clearly their best bet, and he's not the most mobile defender. He's better on that end, I think, than a lot of people credit him for. That's sort of the. That's what I, we could probably say this about so many teams, but that's what this team really lacks. If Rudy Gay is going to be your best combo wing, then yes, that's that's something that's certainly a problem. Well, thankfully, Lonnie Walker is on the way, right? Is he a wing? He's more of a guard, right? I didn't watch too much of him. I in mean, college. the goal has to be for him to be a wing. There's no room for McGuard. Six five. I don't know. I, I didn't like him from the research I did leading up to the draft, just because his his shot selection. I don't know how that's going to translate to the NBA. But now that he's on the Spurs, I I immediately expect him to be really good. And he seems like a fantastic person, by the way, just judging from his Twitter account, but that's a little off the rails. I don't know if he can, he can't be a three, four and that's what they need. He's if you could, you can play him at the three in today's NBA. He's like a two, three. Yeah. He's in that Marco Bellinelli, that kind of indispensable guy there. Like that's, that's fine. But they have a lot of those already. Like, like you said, they just are in the same spot. A lot of teams in this league are in where they're just looking for that right wing guy who can play the three and the four. Maybe you call the Hawks about Torian Prince. I think that might be interesting for them. Torian, how low are the Hawks and Torian Prince right now? I guess I'm too high. He's not good at basketball. So pretty low. That's I don't know if I'm ready to go there yet for him. Mm. What did you like about? Are you at least what? ready to join me on Kevin Herter as their best young player, Island? I don't know if I want to move off of Torian Prince just yet. I was so high. Oh, year. I move off now. Like you 100% move off Torian Prince. Like that's. What is your huge. issue with him? He's Harrison Barnes. Wow. I just have no interest in wings who can't dribble. 
and not a great shooter. Like it's just one of those things. That he's not a playmaking wing. He wants to be. He just he was a couple years ago, but it's just it's not going to happen. And I think he's someone who's always going to fade, and he's going to get overpaid by somebody. And it's just he's always going to be a headache. He's always going to be just you're like that auto porter, all those kind of wings that you're like. You win the lottery, you should be better, but ultimately the upside is built on whether or not he can dribble up the floor, play make, um, run the offense when Trey Young is playing off ball, and that's just not going to be what's happening, especially when you have Kevin Herter there now as well who can dribble and do stuff. I No, I am not a Torian Prince guy anymore, and it hurts me to say because I was pretty high at him coming out of Baylor, but um, another guy who's just, nah, it's not going to happen. I think I'm going to have to give him the rest of the year. I thought he he was turning the ball over a ton when they tried to feature him as a playmaker last year in light of because he can't dribble. But, uh, yeah, but I, I'm probably just too smitten with more of the wing built players. And Herder really isn't. Uh, he's not really a wing in my mind. And I think Torian Prince is eventually going to be super disruptive defensively at the three and four. I know they struggled to play him. You can at the keep four waiting for that. He's man. healthy, but uh, I, I I don't think that day is coming. Are you back in on DeAndre Bembry? Oh, all the way in on DeAndre okay, good. Bembry. I still have love Bembry. I just take out islands on all these uh, Hawks players and hope that Dude, one of them. He hits. is Will Barton 2.0, and I am 100% here for it. Yeah, he's been interesting to watch. I, I, I don't know. It shouldn't work. He's a great facilitator. He's confident, like he's too confident in some instances. Um, but if he can ever shoot consistently. He's uh, he's gonna I think be he really will. good. I think the shot's coming. And he's a great rebounder. He's just a good hustle guy. He does. He just fills up the box score. Like I, I like Bimbry a lot. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm with you there. So at least we agree. We agree on him. That was our middle mm-hmm. ground. You have Herder, I have Prince, and then we're going to meet in the middle of Bimbry. And I, uh, who can forget my guy John Collins, who is just like Jeremy Grant on steroids, which I'm 100% here for. I obviously do not watch the Hawks as much as some other people, but every time he just busts out an unassisted jumper whether it goes in or not it's weird as hell i like cut, i like fall off my chair or whatever i'm doing it doesn't it shouldn't work like the way he shoots and everything else like it, it just shouldn't work but he's he knows how to shoot corner threes and he'll hit some stuff off the dribble where you're like that's not sustainable so i'm not a believer in a shot long term oh you like, don't think um, i just with the no. volume they're kind of giving him now and how i feel like there's a chance and that's his path to maybe not becoming an all-star not being jeremy grant yeah but well <laughs> He's a better rebounder than Jeremy Grant. Right. But, I mean, Jeremy Grant's a good rebounder. For, I guess, a bad the quasi-wing, yeah. I, but if he, if John Collins is even like a like a half-face-up weapon, that's like your path to entering the, as a big, entering the tier above all-star level. I don't want to say all-NBA level because I, I don't know that he can say. I don't think say, he's ever going to be an all-star. I don't, he doesn't. No, he can he be, especially, the, first all-star. of all, have you looked at the Eastern Conference lately? That's true, but that doesn't. That's not real. We are. We're, we can use more nuance in that. Where it's like it, across the league, when you look at guys at the four, like he's. I don't. Yeah, that's actually an interesting point. There's probably for him to really just explode up the ranks. He's going to need to be close to a defensive anchor at the five position. I don't know. Yeah, if the and I don't think it's that. ever going to happen. I don't think they ever want to put him at the five. I don't think he's going to be that. I think he's going to be a four. He almost gets all his minutes at the four. It's not, I don't think that's their plan. I don't think you're going to see that. No, and the defense hasn't been good in the times that they've given him run at center either. Yeah. But that's just, it's going to have to be one or the other, if not both. Well, it would be nicer to see him at the five than Alex Lynn try and play basketball at the five. They didn't give Alex Lynn two guaranteed years, did they? I hope not. I don't think so. He's got the worst touch around the rim of any big I've seen in a long time. I mean, if you have him and Miles Plumley on the books at the same time for more than a season, that's that's actually impressively bad. Yeah. 
They gave Alex Lynn two guaranteed years. Oh my god. He's awful. Alex Lynn is terrible. He is like I was a huge Mike Muscala guy. Miss him every day. Like just Alex Lynn is awful. He is one hundred percent awful. I don't know how he went. What is, did he go fifth to Phoenix? Yeah. I, he was, maybe they must have thought that he was gonna like he'll be just nice salary filler at some point. I don't know why he got two guarantees. I think they just miss on these bigs. Like they'd go right with like the bargain bin veteran bigs like Dwayne Dedman and guys like that. But then when they go young, like those ex lottery guys that the Knicks have hit on with Moutier and Hazonia a little bit, but like it's the opposite in Atlanta, where <laughs> if you're one of those guys, you go down, down the tubes. Yeah, I've, I don't know. They're, who, what type of big do you get to play alongside John Collins, though? What's the archetype? Uh, he has to basically like Brooke Lopez. I mean, they t- Dwayne Dedman sometimes fancies himself Brooke Lopez with the way. Dwayne Dedman is really good for a point shooter now. Like he's. he's good. He's Dwayne Demon's good. He can rebound. He knows his role. He'll stum. He feels himself a little too much sometimes. Where he'll pull up and he'll shoot threes off the dribble from the top of the key sometimes. And you're like, what the hell is happening? What in Atlanta? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's just they do some really dumb shit with him there. But uh, no, he's fine. I. But yeah, I think the ultimate guy is he has to be a shooter. He has to be a a guy who can. I don't think he necessarily has to be a good rebounder because I think Herder. And um, Bembry are both pretty solid uh, uh, rebounders for their position, and Collins can rebound. So I think ultimately he doesn't have to be a big who can rebound inside, but I think he has to be above average shooter. Like I think that's that's another reason I don't want Zion in Atlanta. I don't think Zion and Collins works. I don't think that's. I want RJ Barrett. Like that's the thing. It's like they need to find a wing, a a guy who they can. um, I want to build around Herder, Trey, and an, an elite wing. That's that should be the goal, and then Collins and just some veteran big who can shoot threes. Well, if you want an elite wing, then you don't want RJ Barrett. I, that is hey, the extent of my on. draft analysis. <laughs> okay, well, I don't want Zion Williamson. I'll tell you that. You know who I wouldn't take number one overall? A five in twenty nineteen. That's not what I would do. Well, he's kind of more positionless. I get your concerns. I think those are com- completely valid, and it almost seems like because of how he's built. Anyone who says that he's too heavy is being unfair. He's he's clearly in phenomenal shape, but I, I would wonder, like, is he going to have a shorter career prime arc than most? Because how does that body type age in the NBA? Just look, Not well. Yeah. And so I, I get the concerns there, and I, I get the fit concerns, particularly with John Collins, because all of a sudden in that situation, you need John Collins to be the Brooke Lopez is basically yeah. what has to happen. So you're trading John Collins if you drive Zion. Like, he should be immediately Dude, I don't think he's being immediately... No, you give that a chance to work. No, you don't. That's not working. Wow. Go ahead and write... Um, Travis Schlink, before you make another bad draft day trade, um, call me. Uh, if you're going to take Zion number one overall, go ahead and get John Collins out of there because it's not going to work. Don't test it out and muddy the waters and hurt John Collins' trade value because teams are going to see those two together and it's just going to be bad and his on-off numbers are going to be bad. And No, no, don't do it. If you draft Zion... John Collins is traded draft day. I I would be shocked if that happened. I would too, but that's what I would do if I was GM. Well, they might not have to worry about it because they're not going to have. Will they even have the fourth worst record in the NBA? I guess they'll have one of the we, bottom I mean, three. I don't know. They've been now. fun. They they have the fifth worst record. They're right not now. fun. Okay, let's go ahead and stop there. They're not fun. I, I've watched 
a lot of Hawks games this year. They're not fun. Yeah, you know what? They're more fun when Torian Prince is healthy. I'll give you that. Okay. He's the glue That's that holds their the entertainment case. factor Oh, my together. God. You're... Oh, my God. Torian Prince. Why are you jumping back on this? You know when they're fun? is when Kevin Herter is, like, just taking 35-footers off the dribble. They've been, like, them. beating these random good teams on the road. They the beat best. the Thunder a couple of days ago. Right, how are you telling me they're not fun, though? They push the Celtics. I even enjoy they're watching not, Trey but, Young when he's not hitting threes, and he's been hitting them at a higher clip of late. But he is. But uh, you know, it'd be nice. Luka Doncic, who they yeah, drafted. Um, um, I tr- that'd be nice. I tried to formulate a defense for them because I was. I, there's I, no defense. I really liked Trey. I still do like Trey Young, but there's. It would. It's just. It's hard because Luka Doncic to me was very clearly the best player in the draft, and probably what's saving them is that two other teams passed on him as well yeah. but that's we, yeah at least it's not marvin bagley i think trey is gonna have a better nba career than marvin bagley but um no it's it's not good man it's it's bad but you know what it reminds me of i think this is the best case scenario for the hawks is i feel like this is the lebron mellow thing Doncic versus like, trey, yeah i think that's what it is is Doncic is lebron 2.0 in this thing and uh trey young gives me a lot of mellow vibes which that would probably be fair. And then you have like the players in between who are actually better, but no one talked about that as much like Jaron yep. Jackson Jr. is like the weight or Bosch in that scenario. Yeah. Yeah. See, it's fair, right? Yeah, I think that's fair. So they traded LeBron James for Carmelo Anthony. So shout out to Travis Schlink and the Atlanta Hawks organization for just great work all around. Um, Although Trey Young looks a little bit older than Carmelo Anthony, but. That's <laughs> true. Um, all right, man, you got to run. But this was great. I'm glad we were able to reconnect and talk basketball because I think we can talk basketball all the time. But we can find you on Twitter at Dan Favalli. We can read you at Bleacher Report. Um, anywhere else right now? NBA math, all that good stuff. Is there anything you want to plug that's uh, coming out this week before we get out of here? Uh, we have at Bleacher Report. Um, myself and my coworker Adam Frommel are going to be re- releasing our midseason top 100 rankings, so everyone can get bent out of shape over those. I believe at the the end of the week, if all goes according to plan. Well, if uh, Torian Prince is on it, then yes, you are allowed to. He is not. Uh, um, okay, good. I'm not. A, I'm trying to think. Is there another Hawk other than John Collins on it? And I don't think there is. Spoiler. Baysmore. Baysmore just missed the cut. Interesting. Okay, he's top 100 NBA player. Just. That's an FYI. I mean, you should probably look at the list first before you say that. But I think, no. I mean, once you get to the 80s good. and 90s, it's like, you know. Splitting hairs. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. Well, check that out. And uh, let's talk again soon. Yes, definitely. Always enjoy it. Thanks, Chase. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I uh, just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts, or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, Be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas. And like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Thank you for your support, and we'll be back on another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. 
legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.